Cancer Pants Podcast gives voice to cancer thrivers and caregivers from all walks of life. In this podcast, we'll have conversations exploring the thoughts, feelings, and experiences with those who journey with cancer. I'm your host, Rochelle Trudeau. I'm a cancer thriver of 12 years, and I believe that sharing stories is a vital part of our healing journeys. The storytelling in this podcast is meant to encourage, comfort, and provide insight for anyone who journeys with cancer. Welcome to Cancer Pants. Hey there, Um, we're here today on Cancer Pants Podcast with my good friend, Jessica Patching Bunch, or otherwise known because it's easier to say, JPB. And... Jessica is, um, she lives in Portland, Oregon. Can I say that? Mm-hmm. She's on the West Coast. <laughs> no, you can say Portland. That's fine. Okay. And she's a stress resilience coach on a mission to provide accessible alternative mind care for women. She teaches practical approaches to managing stress. And I love this line that she says, so you can get out of your own way and create your best life. So I have asked Jessica to come on today. Hi, Jessica. (laughs) Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, We've done a lot of talking and connecting and um, really have a lot of similar approaches in the type of work that we do. And I've learned a lot from Jessica on her podcast. And I just keep thinking about how... um, you know, when we get a cancer diagnosis, it it's this completely traumatic experience usually. And if we don't understand that initially, then we realize in hindsight, oh my gosh, this <laughs> was really traumatic for me. And so you have that diagnosis trauma and then there's the treatment, the surgery, the recovery, And all of having to handle life with that, the constant reminders that something could be wrong in your body and that like with your first diagnosis, right, you can't do anything about it, right? You you can't know unless you do a scan or something. So it's a journey. It's a journey that's lifelong. And I believe that it requires some sort of intentional navigation or even a practice. And Jessica talks about resiliency a lot. And I love that. I mean, she's a resilience coach, stress resilience coach. And I just think that you have to have this kind of practice of resiliency to be able to weave in what cancer has brought into your life um, so that you can have the life that you want to live so that you can continue and move through this experience. So I thought I would talk to you, Jessica, today about some of the ways that you work with your clients and also some of your um, approaches and and things that you believe about resiliency and change and stress. And we'll just dive right in. But before, um, I would love to have you um, just kind of explain what you do and anything you want us to know about you before we start our conversation. Oh my gosh. Um, anything I want you to know, I feel like that's such a, (laughs) that's such a hard question. Um, but 
what I do is I, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start with, yeah, something, something I want you to know. I love the brain. I Mm -hmm. found, I kind of stumbled on a neuroscience class in my undergraduate studies and very unintentionally because I had this idea that I wasn't good at science. And so I steered as far away from that as I could. And um, so I get into this class and they're introducing it and they're talking about the aesthetics of neuroscience and sensation perception. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't belong here. And I got into it and I loved it. And I fell in love with just learning about how the brain works and I'd always been really fascinated with, I was kind of on a psychology track and I switched to, to more of a neuropsychology and um, mm. neurophysiology track. And, and I had always had this real fascination with human behavior and just why we do the things we do and how we justify that sometimes. <laughs> and, um, and so I started just like delving into learning about the brain. And then I was working in neurodevelopmental research and I just find it so fascinating. It just all made so much sense to me. And so part of what I do with my clients and just in the information that I just kind of put out there is help people understand how our nervous system, nervous system works, how the brain works in certain areas related to threat and stress and fear and survival and all of those things that kind of contribute to anxiety and depression and stress And so that we can just have this foundation of knowing, okay, there isn't necessarily something wrong with me. This is just how it works. Mm -hmm. And so then where can I go from here? I think, I think we, I think a lot of people don't know how the brain works. You know, we, we think about what, like our thoughts, Right. I think our, our closest experience with the brain, aside from breathing and, you know, all of our organs working without trying <laughs> autonomically. Um, but I think the, the experience that we have the most is with our brain is our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a huge part of this. So I was when I was working in research, I was kind of looking around and, and my idea was, you know, I, th- I felt like. I had finally found this thing that I wanted to pursue, which was research. And then I was working in research and looking around at my boss, who was incredible. Um, But I was looking at what her job was. And I realized I was looking at the the grad students and the postdocs. And I thought, this doesn't seem like what, what I want to be doing. And I was just watching this information being kind of passed back and forth between people who already had a good foundation of understanding of what was going on. Um, And I was thinking that there had to be a better way to use this information to let more people know about it because Mm -hmm. yes, the brain is incredibly complex in so many ways, but in a lot of ways it is not that, that scary. And I think we, People get really intimidated by by just those words of like neuroscience or neuropsychology yeah. or the brain, and it's like, oh, that's scary. Right. But if we know just a little bit about how how we work, which is mm-hmm. it is not as complicated as as we think it is, 
um, I think it helps us to navigate, learn how to navigate that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of bringing up the memory of, you know, on Mr. Rogers, when, Mm -hmm. um, you go on the picture picture and you go behind the scenes on something that's being made that you can't, like you can show a child like, well, here's a particular toy or whatever. And they're, you know, here's a box of cereal. Can you imagine how it became a box of cereal? And um, then you go on this journey through the factory and you see all the people and all the, the roles. And then you're like, oh, that's it's- how they make cereal. <laughs> and it's like so relaxing to the nervous system for me because it's like you're, you're all of the unknown mm. becomes known. So that's just like a, a really kind of silly example, but no, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like I remember feeling really calm just watching things roll down the conveyor belts and like get all made, and I'm like, oh, thank God that a machine does that, and not like this one person, right? And just like in all of these things, and then I feel the same way when I find out some, about something that works, how it works in my body. It's almost like the curtain, you can pull the curtain back yeah, and you see like, oh, that's what's happening to me, with me, behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that is, that's one of my things that I just say over and over and over again is until (laughs) we have a better understanding of something, we can't learn to manage or control it. And so that's like, if you, just a very kind of crude example, but if, if you get into a car and you don't know what the pedals do, you don't know what the shifter does. You don't know what the steering wheel does. You, mm-hmm. it's not, you're not going to go anywhere. You don't know what to do with it. And so if right. you don't have just a, a foundational understanding of kind of what, what these things are in our system, you know, depending on what we're talking about, then we don't know how to manage them. We don't know how to work with ourselves and our systems to get the most out of them and to navigate life in a, in a way that we want. Right. Let alone listening to no. our systems. Yeah. I mean, that's part of working with them. Right. But um, I kind of feel like this is something, you know, back to my childhood, but I kind of feel like this is something that we should have learned in kindergarten. Yes. You know, yes. You, you know, like before. Mm-hmm. And I loved that so much. Yeah. And I, my daughter has a book, a hundred things about the human body. It is hands down her favorite book, probably because she's my kid, but she's so curious. And she even says to me all the time, mommy, I wish I could look under my skin and see what's happening. Right. And, you know, aside from reminders to her that, no, we don't, let's not try to go there. (laughs) There's other ways to see inside the body. But, um, I think that it's a curiosity that we naturally have. And, the more culture we, the more we get, you know, domesticized and cultured, mm-hmm. the, I think the more we forget that we have all these amazing, miraculous tools working behind the scenes to keep us in homeostasis alive. Yeah. I think that there is, I think there's, I think there's so many layers to, to kind of, investigate there because there is this natural curiosity when we're young, but 
culturally here in the U.S., we do not prioritize in our education, like you said, things you should have known in kindergarten. We do not prioritize any kind of education on how to, I mean, emotional intelligence or how mm-hmm. to just self-regulate or navigate or what your systems are or how they're doing. Um, intuition. How you with them, intuition, yeah. or even just, yeah. I think, I always think when I start talking about these things about diet and nutrition and fitness and what that looks like or what people think that looks like, because there are so many confusing messages and so much poor information out there because in that realm, there's such a huge focus on aesthetic and, you know, get your bikini body or whatever. And it's not really anything about health or wellness or nutrition Mm-hmm. Or even sometimes really about fitness. And so right. it can be confusing. Right. Well, it seems to me that the importance is placed on how you're seen. You know, like mm-hmm. in kindergarten, we learn things like be kind, be nice to your neighbor, da, 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 da. but why? You know, or, you know, having a looking a certain way. And I know that because we're creatures of, we have egos, right? And we have these creatures of our outer world that that's something we naturally, we can experience that and we can control how we look and get people to pay attention to us a certain way, right? So we kind of learned that. But if we were able to learn that we had, that how we felt was monumentally more important than how we looked and learned that at a really young age, I think that we would lean back into the things that so many of us in our thirties and forties are looking for. We're trying to understand and we're, we're trying to get a handle on it. Right. I mean, handle on the, on the stress, you know, well, and just the understanding because we do, we have, you know, by the time we're in our thirties, I think 35 is a number that I've seen, but we operate mostly on, kind of an autopilot from subconscious patterns, thought patterns, behavior patterns, actions that we have been practicing over and over and over again since we were children with the things, whatever it is that we learn. And so by the time we reach our mid-30s, there isn't a lot of intention in what we're doing. We just kind of are going about thinking whatever we kind of have always thought and doing the things that into being curious about how do I, or like, is this, is there something missing? How do I get more in touch with, or even just how am I feeling and start asking these questions? Like you said, in our thirties and forties, then it's like, oh my gosh, what if I had learned this in kindergarten? (laughs) So here, here's something I'd like to kind of shift a little bit to maybe a little bit of your personal story, but so we're going along, right, in our lives, and we, we're, we're in our habituations, and we're doing our life the way we think we should. And then in, in my case, at 36, it was like breast cancer, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, what? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's something inevitably on our path that in our journey here on this life that's going to, you know, be the banana peel that you know, puts our back out and makes us go, wait, whoa. Then I think in order for us to become curious Mm -hmm. or to seek out Mm -hmm. 
why we're not fully connected to ourselves or however you feel. I don't want to put words on that because like wherever your disconnects are, mm-hmm. you have to kind of have an, an, an something that happens that reshifts and changes your perspective. So a lot of your podcasts in your podcast and you do this beautiful 20 ish minute podcast every week when it comes out on Monday, it's the best Monday medicine ever. Oh, thank and you. Yeah. But one of the topics that comes up is, is change. Mm. Like there's something, something changes in the structure or in the patterns of your day or your week or your something in your body. And then, and then you kind of riff off of that based on some other things, but I'm, I'm, I'm noticing even with the work that I do that every, everything that people pay attention to is when things are different. Right. So it's pretty simple, but I wanted to just dive a little bit into your personal story. Um, where, when was that for you that you started realizing your, maybe your own deficit in connection to yourself and what changed in your life that made you start to kind of really embody the, this work? Mm. Yes. (laughs) I always, (laughs) there's so many layers like, like there are in life to this. Um, and I always, I always wonder which pieces fit this conversation. Um, So I had intentionally practiced for a long time disconnecting from myself. I used to tell, I used to say to myself, like, I don't, I don't have feelings. I don't. Mm. And, and, and really practice that because I thought if I just didn't feel it would be better than hurting so much. And not understanding at that point when I was, you know, <laughs> late teens, early twenties, that that just introduces a whole host of problems when you're ignoring this natural occurrence. Right. Um, but you know, so I I practiced this for a long time and I had for a long time I had doctors just I had just little things here and there I would I would visit a doctor for and they would tell me, oh, you know, this is stress related. So just you need to be lowering your stress. And just, you know, have less stress. And I always just thought, I don't know. I don't know what that means. This is so unhelpful. <laughs> like I, I, right. I had a certain... Tag that. We're going to come back to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I had a certain kind of thought process about what my life was and what was possible. Um, and struggle and stress was just kind of mm. the name of that. And I just mm. thought that's just what it was. Um so fast forward, I don't know, 10 years or something. And I was working at a job that was just, if I had been open to listening to the signals from myself in, in communication with, with my body and um, feeling a, an as uneasiness there, um, and then, you know, acknowledging it and paying attention to it, I would have realized that yeah. this was not the space I needed to be in. I would literally get sick every morning on the way to work. And, um, and during this time, I just kind of had, I reached a point where I, I was 
I, I wasn't able to function in this way, ignoring myself anymore. I was, I felt like I was, um, I was having kind of a nervous breakdown. I always want to find a, a better, more, more clinical term for that, but, but that's what it was. A break and, open. A break open. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, and so I started, um, seeing a therapist and it was about a year after that I started having, um, psychogenic seizures. So those are in response to disassociative part of a disassociative response to trauma, um, (laughs) rather than an epileptic episode. And it was like the ultimate freeze Mm -hmm. kind of, it was, I felt like it was kind of the ultimate, like you can't ignore this anymore. You have to pay attention. Right. 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 And it was just a couple of months after that began for me that I lost my brother to suicide. Mm. And I made him a promise that I would figure out how to live my life in the best way for me and find my happiness because he never, he, he never made it there. Right. And that's when I started to really take, take this, this work in for myself seriously. And, um, And then it was about a year later, I was still working in um, research at that time and kind of seeing how this information was not distributed to the general public. And it was kind of kept really, really close. And um, I was also working with a nonprofit, um, a neuroscience, art integrated neuroscience outreach group. And we would go to schools and teach from kindergarten to advanced AP high school classes there you go. About <laughs> the structure and function of your brain and what mm. what that means and how to use it, how to navigate. And that's where I really thought, like, this is amazing. Just these kids were just so, they would light up and like, oh, that happens in my <laughs> brain. Like, I can do that. Mm. And I just kind of realized how lacking that education was. And that just yeah. that foundational knowledge of how we work. And I thought there could be something to sharing, sharing what I know Um, and, and helping people with these practices that I have found that have significantly changed the way that I approach my life. And I'm aware of the things that I am thinking and doing. And um, yeah, I think I've forgotten the original question, but (laughs) No. So it was just like, what's your relationship to change? And that was a huge change. Oh, yes. Going from functioning and like doing okay without feeling the feels, all the Mm -hmm. feels Mm -hmm. to just your whole system shutting down. Because with a seizure, that's pretty much what it is, right? It's kind of like, stop, you know? Yeah. With the type that Um, I have, it is just definitely a hard stop at whatever point yeah. that comes on. <laughs> right. And it's not just, you know, when they talk about trauma response, like, or stress responses, mm-hmm. not just trauma, but stress response, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, all the, mm-hmm. all the things that that's a extreme freeze. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. your whole system saying, 
you know, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to sit here and not say anything, but you kind of did that for so long until then all the systems got on board and yeah. just started, you know, that's kind of how it, it sounds. So, you know, the, you had this experience and then you realize once you started learning about what in your research, in your mm-hmm. job, that there was more that people should know so they can understand and as you went through your therapy and stuff. Right. So then you were able to kind of have this, um, you had, you developed a desire to share and educate. Yeah. Well, I was so, I was really grateful to have the foundation of understanding that I had about, about brain function and nervous system function when I was, originally dealing with these things because I visited the neurologist and, and there we did, we did all the tests that you Mm. could possibly do and everything was, um, insignificant, which which when you're going in for a brain scan and they're like, we look at your brain and it seems insignificant. I'm like, excuse me, that seems rough. (laughs) Even though that's like the best. Oh yeah, no, that's what we want. I'm like, can we change the wording? Um, But so they, so we didn't, there was no explanation for these things. And so the explanation, so, so the, the offering that the neurologist had for me was take these um, neuro inhibiting pills every day. Oh, wow. And I, and I did after the first one, because we just didn't have any idea what was going on. We hadn't gone through the tests or anything yet. And so they put me on these anti-seizure neuro, uh, global neuro inhibitor and the side effects were so awful. Um, just worst case scenario on all of those. I had some suicidal ideation. I, my husband said I was really mean, which I feel awful. I don't remember that part. Um, I just felt like a zombie. I could not just lethargic and kind of just didn't really, my cognitive function wasn't there. And so I knew that this was not how I wanted to be every day. This was not an option for me. And also if there wasn't anything, an electric electrical issue in my brain circuit, like it didn't make any sense for me to do that. And so going into the situation, having the foundational understanding that I did, I I was able to kind of think through it and say, this doesn't really make sense to me because I know how these things work a little bit. I'm not a neurologist, but like I have a foundational understanding and this doesn't make sense to me. And I just realizing that that helped me to navigate and look into different avenues of what start really addressing the stress response and doing a lot of research there and then researching different just alternative ways to approach that. I just realized that most people who don't have that type of education or, or knowledge base don't have those options just readily available in their head. Like, Oh, I can try this other thing. Right. They don't have tools. No. And that's a problem. Can you talk about a couple of the tools that you used to navigate yourself away from this really dissociative way of living? What were some of the tools that you maybe used and maybe now teach or use as a support for your clients? What are like some of the basic things that have helped you? So number one, I I don't want you to give away all of your 
secrets. Oh, no. There's no, <laughs> no secrets. I didn't make these okay. up. Okay. You know, that's, these, and that's, okay, so that, that, I'm so glad you said that, because that is the other, like, there are no, these are not secrets. Like, the right. things that I focus on are, are using your brain, your body, and your breath intentionally, mm-hmm. and becoming aware of how, first becoming aware of how you were, what's happening in those, how are you moving? How are you thinking? What, you know, mm-hmm. what thoughts are running through your head? How mm-hmm. are you breathing? And then once you're aware and understand a little bit about how those things work, then you can direct those, those things in a better way and be intentional about how you're, how you're living. Um, and all of these practices are thousands of years old, if not more. Right. And, you know, indigenous cultures and from a Western perspective, Eastern medicine, Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine have always practiced a lot of these things, but it's within the Western lens that, you know, back in the 17th century, when Rene Descartes was like, no, brain and body are totally separate. Mind and body Mm -hmm. have nothing to do with each other. They don't affect each other. And then you see these really strange practices start to to happen in science and medicine that looking back now, that just seem so like they don't make any sense at all. Um, And now with modern neuroscience imaging, we're able to see like, oh, okay, mind and body, they do affect each other. That's wild. Um, So anyways, they're, you know, they're not secrets, but. Um, I think my, my first go-to is always breath work mm-hmm. because our just learning about like really the physiology of your breath and how significant it of a part it plays to your overall health, both mental and physical. It is wild that we are never taught anything about that because mm-hmm. it is just, it is one of the most significant things you can do to improve your health mm-hmm. and starting is just, again, awareness, paying attention because it, yeah. like we were talking about earlier, until there's a change or kind of an issue with something, we don't really right. have that, in, that <laughs> attention or focus. And I, I always ask people, how often do you pay attention to how you breathe? Mm-hmm. And usually unless you're like out of breath or for can't for some reason, you don't because you don't have to because our body is incredible and it just does it for you. But how you breathe informs your, um, your stress response. And right. It's kind of a two way street with breath. Breath's going to be there breathing. And then you can hone that breath. You, you have a say in your breath and it's not a hundred percent autonomic, right? It's a, it's yeah. a mutual, it's exactly. a collaboration <laughs> between mm-hmm. you and you can use your breath to change. If your breath can change and then you change how you feel. So if you become out of breath and you feel exhausted or, you know, if you take small, short breaths because you're nervous and you're in a fight or flight kind of situation. Um, and that can change your neural response, your thoughts and the way that you think and feel and even your digestion, you know, if, oh, if yeah, that yeah. can happen in one direction, then you could actually change it in the other direction. And I keep hitting the mic. But yeah, um, exactly. And that and it is just how you breathe informs your nervous system function. And you yeah. get to have input in what that is. And so 
that is one of the biggest things that I work with because it not only is, is um, affecting the physiology and helping to either calm a fight or flight response and get you into a, a, a safe or neutral nervous system place, or it can also give you energy if you're feeling fatigued. So it's amazing what you can do with just intentional breathing. Yeah. But it also, if you, if you have ever tried to just focus on your breath for two, five minutes, whatever, a couple of minutes, Mm -hmm. if we had to rely on our attention to stay alive because we were the ones manually we would just be trees. Our, our breath. We, would, we would just the human be trees. Would never make it because that, that focus is 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 so much more difficult. It sounds really like okay, I sit and listen to my breath for five minutes, right? But, but how a lot comes from something that? like that. Well, yeah, yeah. and your your thoughts yeah. come in, and then you get to notice. Oh, okay, I was thinking about this thing, and right. then you get to get curious. Hint, Jessica's talking about meditation. <laughs> yes, it is. You know, and it's it's so funny because I, with with the way that I work, I want people to know that, which I, I do, I meditate. I want to say I meditate daily. That's a lie. I, I am forming my meditation practice. It is, it is always a practice, which yes. is really funny because I, the first time I heard that expression, I was in a yoga class and somebody, and they said something about, oh, this is a practice. And I thought in my first initial kind of response in my head was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I was, I was not, I was not in a, I was not in a receiving place at that point. And now I realize <laughs> it's a practice yeah. because you have to practice all the time because that's, it is, right. it is. It's no more than a practice. It's no. not, we're, we're not practicing for some performance. No, We're practicing for longevity and for life, for life. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I want people to know that you don't, it doesn't have to be an hour long meditation with sound bowls or whatever. I think people have this idea of what meditation needs to look like, which I think is a whole other conversation, but it doesn't have to be a certain length of time. It doesn't have to look like a specific right. something you get to make it what you need it to be. Well, and that's where it becomes woven. Mm -hmm. Like I was talking about, like to weave an experience of resiliency into your day means that you're powerful. You're empowered through your body and your choices in your body while you're folding clothes and while you're on a run and your body follows suit and does it more often. So if you do, and I'm, I can't quote the research on this, but they were saying that smaller amounts more often taught our bodies more. Yeah. That's like a way, way paraphrasing all of that. But it's kind of like, I noticed that when I incorporate some sort of a bodyful or mindful practice while I'm doing a, a, a habitual thing, like walking, or folding clothes, which I fold a lot of clothes and, or, you know, even just sitting at my desk and, and doing small bits of things. Um, it it sits, it clicks and you start to do it more often because it doesn't 
feel like an event or a big stressor that you have to like, I, I everyone has to leave me alone for an hour. Yes. I have to do this thing. But I think it's, I think it's important to, I think you're right. You know, it's, it's a, it's a practice because you do it all the time. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that came up while you were saying that. Yeah. The, the idea that, that I heard this somewhere and I just loved it so much because it, I feel like it just explains this so well. So we brush our teeth generally a couple times a day for mm-hmm. a couple minutes mm-hmm. every day because you don't want cavities or, you know, gum disease and right. all the other, all the other things that could happen. Right. So if you just were like, okay, I'm going to brush my teeth for nine hours this one day and that's going to do everything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, that is not going to keep no. cavities away because you have to do it every single no. day. And that two minutes can seem insignificant, but it's about the consistency about, about doing it more frequently and less, less. Your uh, arm's just going to get tired. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing you're going to change. Yeah. And you know, this is something yeah. that I've, I've said to my audience a couple of times is it doesn't, because we, I think we tend to have these judgments of like, Oh, it's not going to matter if I don't, if I'm just doing it while I'm walking or folding laundry, it's not, it's not the same. It's not enough time. We, yeah. we have all these stories about why it might not work. But when we look at how your brain works, every time you do that thing, you're fi- firing a specific neural pathway. And then every time that fires, it gets stronger and stronger. The, the length of time is insignificant. Your brain isn't like, well, this is only two minutes. This isn't going to work. You're going to initiate the firing of that pathway and it's going to get stronger every time. And so, yes, little time, little, little bits of time are, are much more beneficial. Indeed. So (laughs) I want to talk about, um, we kind of touched lightly on this earlier, but you said you said you have on your website something that talks about a serious gap in accessible alternative mind care and wellness education for women. And you just mentioned that your re- experience with your neurologist seemed to be something where he was like, I don't want to tell this woman who had seizures that it's just stress related. You know what I mean? So I'm going to try to do something more and give her some medication, you know, so that feels real, you know? And I, I think that, um, there's a whole just huge chunk of help that you could have received in that moment, whether it was through referral or just a pamphlet, even like, here's what happened. You know, (laughs) I don't know, but it feels like there's, there's a, um, I think for so long women have been told like you, oh, you're just stressed out or it's because of your hormones or whatever. You know, what, what do you think it, that gap is and how did you discover this gap? So I think you kind of touched on that, but yeah. So I think that, I think that the, the gap exists not solely for women, but just in our medical system in 
altogether. I just choose to work with women because um, for all of the things that you just mentioned, we have been dismissed <laughs> for, mm-hmm. you know, ever historically. <laughs> and, yeah. And it wasn't until the mid 90s where doctors and scientists, researchers started to even acknowledge and kind of breach the area of stress in women or even trauma, domestic violence affecting mental health in women and much less children kind of were a second thought at that point. And so that's really recent that it, yeah. it is, we have not been giving this a lot of thought for a significant amount of time. And I don't know that when I went to the neurologist, I don't think that there was a thought about stress. I don't think, I think they were just baffled. Um, cause I found out that it was psychogenic seizures just last summer. Um, through a trauma therapist, a friend of mine who was there for an episode. And she said, Hey, have you considered this thing? Which is kind of, that's what I thought it was. I just didn't know that that specific thing existed. Right. And so then I was able to put the pieces together and say, okay, yes. Um, but our, the way that our medical system is run, doctors at all levels and all specialties are taught and trained to prescribe medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First and foremost. And so that is where I see, that is where I see this gap. Mm-hmm. There, there are no, there are no referrals or, and I think, and that there is a shift happening to, to be fair. There is, I do see a shift yeah. in, in, in areas where there is more, um, wellness education or referrals outside of of what 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 might have been um a possibility i'm searching for words um but 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 there is there is there is a crack and it's opening and i think it's it's widening but but it is still just our kind of our go-to is take this medicine And I'm not anti-medication or anything like that. I think that it has a purpose, but I also see that with that, we are not participating in our own wellness journey in, Mm. in our lives. Mm -hmm. We're just saying, okay, the doctor said this, that's it. Right. And so a lot of my audiences are, is going to, is a, cancer thrivers and those people who are caring or loving people with cancer and other chronic illnesses. And I'm wondering, like, you know, a lot of times we get shot into this funnel of protocol Mm -hmm. where this happens and then this happens. And, um, you know, usually it'll, your protocol changes based on your, test results, diagnosis, all of that. And then you kind of get told from the beginning your what your whole journey is going to look like. And then you kind of have, you just get sent on your way. And um, I mean, I don't know, you don't get sent on your way. You, you continue to come back and be supported by your cancer center or whatever, wherever you're getting treated. But it's the protocol and the medicine and the stuff is the, the number one thing that everybody is kind of concerned about. And luckily uh, there are so many different groups, um, organizations, support groups. Um, there's always a therapist at a cancer center. Um, 
fortunately that is the case, but I'm wondering, and I kind of went through this myself. I had lots of nightmares and I had, um, a lot of really nervous things that I, I didn't understand, right. (laughs) About my nervous system. And I was, I just said, well, it's because I have cancer or whatever. It's just normal. And I'm wondering if you might speak to like, well, and it's kind of going back to this gap, but the, there's this place that we all kind of sit in our, our medical stuff where um, we, have to, we have to take care of ourselves, right? It, um, we don't have to, but in order for us to feel good and keep moving on, we have to do things that are good for us. I got acupuncture. I did, um, you know, I, I stopped working and was, I had some abilities that I could do to help alleviate some of the stress of treatment. But I'm wondering, um, I don't know how exactly how to ask this question. So that's why I'm struggling with it a little bit. But what do you recommend? And not just, you know, for a cancer patient, it doesn't have it to necessarily do exactly with cancer. But what do you recommend for someone who's noticing that they have something going on that is a stress response. They know they have a lot of stress. What do you recommend for someone to do initially? Like, talk to me about the process that one might go through to get from the place of, ah, having all this stress to, oh, wow, I feel supported. Supported how? Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, well, I mean, even if like, how, how do your, um, clients like get to like, get to you? Like, how does one find that care in the gap? Mm, Okay. That is part of the problem. Um, I think that, I mean, for, for me, social media is, is the avenue. And I think that it's so funny because the, the kind of space that I have cultivated for myself, as far as what I intake on social media is so positive. And I don't like using the word positive because I think there's a lot of issues around that. Usable. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, it is useful. And and it is aligned with my values and things that are helpful to me and what I want to be learning about. And, and I almost forget that there is a whole other realm of social media where it is not any of those things. And it is toxic and not, mm-hmm. um, not useful mm-hmm. or helpful in any way, because I'm not, because that's not part of my experience with it. And so I mm-hmm. think, I think that this ability to reach people in a way that we never really have before in the last few Mm. years, this has just kind of come up to where you can find people that are doing different types of work on, on these different platforms. And it's not just kind of in a certain location somewhere that you're unaware of and maybe don't, won't ever have access to because you don't know how to find it. Right. That's a really good, that's a really good tip. I think for someone to use social media as a way, I mean, oftentimes cancer 
people going through cancer treatment are using social media as a way to connect with all the people in their life that aren't close to them, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I think also what comes to my mind is curating your your social media to have supportive people on there. And if you see something that doesn't feel in alignment with how you want to feel, then you can, you have like the choice to curate that and to, to unfollow those accounts. And I think even around cancer, there are some super unhealthy um, marketing around how to look better after cancer, how to lose your chemo weight, um, things like that, which I know that that's a concern for people, but, and that you losing your image is a big part of going through cancer treatment. Yeah. But I think that there is no image there unless there is a really vibrant, mentally state, like healthy person who's thriving from the inside out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that piece that, that you kind of caught and touched on there, the, the cultivating your, your space, I think starting to do that on social media or something like that, where it's kind of this, this, um, smaller space of your life that you can absolutely say, you know what, this, this doesn't serve me, or this just doesn't feel good. Or just blatantly like this makes me feel bad about myself. I start blaming Mm -hmm. or shaming or whatever it is when I see this, you don't have to have that in your space. And you can just on social media, it's really easy to just say like, okay, unfollow, unfriend, whatever. But it is the same in real life. And it's, comes with a little more complexity and it is definitely more difficult in some areas when we're dealing with friends or family or coworkers or, or these relationships that, that are more meaningful than just a social media account that you can unfollow. Right. But it is if, and that's kind of where curating your, your space in, in real life, as well as, you know, the internet mm-hmm. world that you partake in is a huge start to kind of navigating and creating this space that feels good and less threatening to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that also to cultivating your new normal, right? Because there is no going there's the praxis of a cancer diagnosis is there's no turning back, right? It's like nothing is ever going to be the same as it, that it used to be. No. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be wonderful. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be fulfilling and rich and amazing and that you won't look beautiful and stunning and slender or whatever your goal is or tons of long, gorgeous locks. I mean, that when and if you survive from a cancer <laughs> treatment and, you know, disease, you, you, and I won't say when, but, you know, there is always that chance that, you know, you're fight, you're actually fighting for your life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, most of the time, I don't feel like I was fighting for my life, but if I hadn't have caught it when I did or et cetera, et cetera, it's not something that's, you know, your body has a lot of strength to overcome without acknowledgement, you know? (laughs) So I'm kind of getting a little weird, but 
Um, I just want to be able to say the right words to people to not feel, um, I guess, left out or misunderstood. But from my point of view, you just fought for your life going through a diagnosis, some treatment, recovering, dealing with the ins and outs and the dynamics of your life and your relationships and curating your space, like making sure that you're putting prioritizing what's most important first Mm -hmm. and making sure that you, that you aren't getting messaging that something is wrong with you because you just did this amazing thing. So I, I, I get, I really get very passionate about what you're saying in that that is something that you can def you can't control so many things when it comes to cancer, but you can control what you surround yourself with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a couple of things that, that popped into my head as you were talking, I, I, a cancer diagnosis has to be just one of the most terrifying things to, to receive. And then going through that process, it is changing you forever. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time we have a tendency to, well, I mean, for we do because these, these traumatic kind of incidences that we have that are scary and change, you know, we are, are kind of in our face, changing our lives, our memories imprint differently with those. So it does have a different effect on how we, how we think about it. But if we, if we kind of step back and, and, and zoom out a little bit, everything, every experience that we have that is new changes us we just don't realize it because it's not something that is that we can sit. It doesn't catch our attention as being that significant. But when we're dealing with something that is like you said, literally life and death, you are fighting for your life. And then you're thinking of, and then because your brain has a negative bias anyways, and you're going through all these things. And then on top of it with the, the blaming and shaming, it's a lot for, for your, just for your mental and physical uh, self to process. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is no going back from, from any experience. We have to go forward and see what that looks like. Um, and then the idea that something's wrong, like what's something's wrong with me. I'm doing this wrong. I just want just ask the question according to who. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're the only one that matters when yeah. you're taking care of your health. And mm-hmm. especially in a situation where you're you're going through something as significant as a cancer diagnosis or in treatment. Yeah. Well, and I think even years after treatment, um, recognizing that, ch- that change and that imprint and remembering that you're not... The same. It's, it's so easy to forget, you know, years going by, you know, I, I got really frustrated at myself for not being able to do something physically recently that I used to do. And just aside from being 10 years older, <laughs> like, you know, 
Um, I also know that it has a lot to do with some some of the effects of, of cancer and, and the treatment, mostly the treatment for cancer. And so it was really, um, I was, I was getting really hard on myself and I was like, you have had a baby, you have mm-hmm. <laughs> fought and won this cancer diagnosis. Um, you've, you're, you've been on, and not, just to be really fair to yourself, list all of the things that have been difficult that you've completed and that you've come through to, to, and think about those things and embody them and see what it feels like in your body when you think about accomplish what you've accomplished yes. in your whole yeah. life. And, you know, I, I ran a, a series of six races the year before I got my cancer diagnosis. And I, then I had six chemo treatments and I thought to myself, this, each one of these chemo treatments is going to be like those runs that I had last year. And to use the imprints and to use those feelings of accomplishment and the the things that have felt good to keep bringing those back in that. And I think that, that, you know, that, that you're saying that reminder, you know, that you, that something happened, (laughs) you know, that you have this trauma, but also that in order to, your body wants to find any which way to deal with it and get through it. Yeah. And so to co-create a a good experience is available. That co-creation is available. And it, you know, when I, I just think about, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to say this because I, cancer is not something that, that I have personally, I have experienced for myself. And I, and I know that just saying, I, I hear people say things like, just shift your mindset. And it's so unuseful. Yeah. It is so yes. unuseful. And so I don't, yes. I, don't want this, I don't want it to come across anything like that. Because when right. you're in a space like that, that is a really, really difficult thing to do. But just mm-hmm. like you're saying, if you're already dealing with, with this thing and you're in the thick of it, how do you want to feel? Does feeling... Right does feeling shameful and, and, and just negative towards yourself and blaming and judging, does that feel good? Right. No, that that never feels good. Right. And so if you're taking, and, and again, this is where that intention comes in because it does, it takes effort and it takes intention to stop and say, okay, I have gone through all of these things. My body has survived these things. I have mm. accomplished all of these things. My body helps me do all of these things, even if they're not what I want them to be right now or what I ever used mm-hmm. to be. Or I mean, none of that matters because in this moment right now, my body mm-hmm. has gone through all of that and is still helping me in these ways. Right. Walk, talk, breathe, exactly. <laughs> sleep, <Yeah. laughs> all the things. Yeah. And I think, and, and being really intentional about, about celebrating those and, or just mm-hmm. celebrating is a, you know, a stretch some days, but recognizing. Right. Right. Well, I mean, and I think I wanted everything I could possibly, I still want to celebrate everything I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's still hard to get out of the doldrums sometimes, you know, Oh, for sure. but I, but I think that, um, I think you're right. I think it's important to celebrate. And to celebrate what you already are, 
who you already are yeah. and where you've come, how far you've come. Um, gosh, this has been, I'm looking at the time and I'm like, this has been so awesome. I know. It went by fast. I just <laughs> <I'm>, noticed. <laughs> yeah. I'm super grateful, um, for this conversation and, you know, just if you have anything you, what I would like to know is the final question for you, um, is how, what is resiliency or what does resilience mean to you? Mm. Yes. So I, I really love words and I, and so I, I look definitions for things up. And when I looked up the definition, there's several definitions for resiliency and none of them really fit my idea of what that is very well. And when I think about resiliency, I think about like in like human, when I think about human resiliency, I think about children, toddlers. Mm -hmm. And I think about going back to your original state. We are curious. We are confident. We are in touch with all the pieces of our body. We are, um, just audacious and loving and exploratory, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. all of these things that yeah. we, I appreciate the word you used earlier as we, as we were domesticated in this, in this culture, yeah. we lose so much of that. And I think resiliency is uncovering some of that original fortitude that we have. And not only being able to recover from whatever challenges we're facing in the moment, but mm-hmm. to be able to then continue forward. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, yes. That's awesome. Thank you. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, well, I appreciate your time and your, amazingness. And so how can um, the listeners get in touch with you and have an experience this for themselves? Oh, I thank you so much. I am. I am, feel very fortunate to be here. I'm so glad that that you wanted to chat. So thank you for having of me. Um, you, if, if you want to find me, you can, I am super active on Instagram um, at jpb.brainbodyresilience. Or uh, my website, brainbodyresilience.com. And then my podcast, which is also Brain Body Resilience. Try and keep it awesome. Keep it consistent for folks. (laughs) There you go. Consistent branding, as our business coach likes to say. I know. All right. Well, thank you so much. Please um, keep an eye out for uh, more from Jessica and Roe, because I think we, we have yes. some fun things on the horizon webinars and some fun stuff together to uh, use our combined knowledge to share more with the people that we love and care about, which is you. Um, thank you so much for joining us on cancer pants today. And we will see you next week. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Cancer Pants Podcast. All the references and links to information about the guest today can be found in your show notes. Go out and find the joy. Wear the pants. You are right where you belong. Take care.